Hello and welcome to the Non-Pro Show, where we bring internet arguments into a convenient audio form. I am your host, Al. I am joined by Jesse Barufi, author of Otto Von Trapezoid and the Empress of Thieves, and John Trumbull of SNL Nerds, and also of uh, Back Issue Magazine of Tomorrow's Publishing. Correct. And thanks for getting the title of my book right. I know it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but it's a really interesting title, though. It definitely has me, like, it grips me. I want to know what this is about. Is it about trapezoids? Um, well, it's about a mad scientist whose name is Otto von Trapezoid, and he flies around in a giant space trapezoid. So, in a sense. See, I'm clearly sold on this now. <laughs> But yes, um, I've gathered you all here today because uh, I want to talk about Batman. There was a trailer that was released on DC Fandom, and I really liked it. I thought it was really stellar. I think Robert Pattinson did a great job in the trailer. I'm, I'm excited to see the film. But I've seen a lot of discussion online talking about the character and his portrayal, not only in this film, but how he's been in films prior in like the DCEU. I wanted to get some real, like, uh, meaty opinions about what we feel about the Batman character, how we feel about this trailer, and if it does it, the character justice, and what may or may not be going on with uh, DC's, like, recent handling of the Dark Knight. I'll, uh, I'll address uh, some of that. Uh, so one thing that I think is interesting that they went with in the trailer is they're showing uh, a couple of interesting possibilities. One thing that I'm very potentially excited about is the fact that given that it's a Riddler movie, it does seem like it's a bit of a mystery. And I actually really like the idea of Batman, like solving a crime using his brain. It doesn't seem like that happens in any of the recent movies. He just sort of, you know, has been a thug for a while and I would rather see him be smart. Uh, so that's something that appeals to me personally. I don't feel like he's ever done that in any of the films, really. But even in the Burton and Schumacher films, I feel like he still kind of solves his uh, those cases with punching. I don't remember seeing him do much of, you know, the great detective work. He, he didn't do a whole lot of detective work. Like in, in the first Tim Burton film, he, he puts together that, like, the Joker's poisoning Gotham. It works with, like, different combinations. He did work that out. That was more through chemical experimentation than pure detective work. He, he does a little detective work in the Nolan films. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he, he hasn't had a big mystery to solve, and that would be a fun thing for them to do. Yeah, the uh, the other thing is, I think I think what a lot of people are probably focusing on is the uh, the fight scene, where you know he just goes for like the straight-up beatdown of the dude, and it just gets incredibly brutal. And I think I've, I and maybe some other people are a little iffy about that, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I want to yeah. know. I'm curious what you guys think. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a little iffy on that too because I, I don't necessarily be see Batman being unnecessarily vicious. Um, yeah, he does want to scare criminals, but I see him as being more efficient in his fighting style than anything. It's just like, how do I take this person down the quickest, most efficient way? I mean, he's very methodical in in my mind. So. I don't know, like those, those two extra hits after he, he knocks the guy down to the ground. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The, the jury's still out for me on the trailer. I, I didn't, I don't know if I saw too much in the trailer that made me think, oh, wow, this looks really new and different. And I see why they wanted to make another Batman film. To me, so far, it doesn't look especially different from what we've gotten before. I think for me, it comes down to when the arm's broken and the fight just keeps going. 
mm-hmm. it feels really weird because like the fight's over at that point, isn't it? Like he's he's broke the guy's arm and like he's hitting him more. And then, like you said, he knocks him down. And it's those two extra hits. It just feels like excess, yeah. Uh, which is unusual for like that that character, and kind of like we haven't really seen that in the movies either. Like, I mean, just the Nolan films took a bit to get the action scenes kind of uh, choreographed well, not, sh- not choreographed, shot well. So I missed some of the stuff that was going on in those scenes, but I yeah. don't feel like that was I'm everything. Yeah, as far as like a general feeling about the movie, um, about the trailer, like I I remain cautious about it personally. Like, um, I don't know. It, it does seem like they're. I can't tell if it's like a more of a Batman Begins thing or like a Year One, but he's friends with Gordon. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're probably not going to show the uh, the shooting of the parents because people complain about that so much, and rightly so. Honestly, we've seen it so many times now. Yeah, but. But then, like, I don't know. I guess it just seems like uh, they could go a lot of ways, and the trailer was more like to give you a feeling than, like, actually what's going on. It feels very much like a Batman Year 2, as far as what vibe I was getting off of it. As Like, the villain isn't anything like what's in that comic book, but it seems like a kind of almost pre-established Batman. He's at least working with the police. Uh, mm-hmm. He's... You know, he's being allowed in on crime scenes. He has a reputation. And there's a villain who wants justice, but wants to go further than Batman is willing to go. Uh, which, again, is very Batman year two. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I think, like, him working that closely with the police, that that does seem to be the one thing that seems different than the previous uh, Batman movies. Because, like, you know, I, I've, I've thought for years that, like, all the mistakes of the first Tim Burton movie, the 1989 movie, were kind of compounded in all, in the sequels. There's not enough of Commissioner Gordon in there. There's not enough of Batman being a detective. Um, and they just, they just doubled down on all of that stuff uh, as they made the sequels, particularly in the, the Burton-Schumacher series. But... Uh, yeah, I think I think the Nolan films improved on that a bit, but I have my own problems with the Nolan films, honestly, because I I think like he tried to go so realistic, so naturalistic with Batman that he lost like half of the pulp stuff that makes Batman so cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm mixed on the uh, on the Nolan films too. It's hard because part of like he is still a guy who puts on like you know bat ears and a cape. And runs out and punches criminals. Yes. Like, there's something you you can't divorce the amount of ridiculousness, the ridiculousness that's involved in that. And it's weird because that realism that you just talked about in Nolan, very much like the ignoring the uh, intelligence aspect and hitting things like Schumacher and uh, Burton did. Like, I feel like the DCEU double down on that realism with Batman very hard. Like he's getting the point of like, he's branding criminals that go into prison so that like, you know, the people there know like who caught him and like, they wind up dying in prison because of it. It's like, this is really messed up. Like what's going on here. That's yeah. I mean, I, well, I'm of the opinion that uh, Zack Snyder, he thinks he understands the characters, but he doesn't. Um, he, he doesn't know nearly as much as he thinks he does. And it, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect for comic book movie directors. <laughs> uh, but it's a but there's a response that's been to this to this trailer and to a lot of what's been going on with Batman. 
Um, and a lot of people have come to the conclusion that maybe what's kind of wrong here is that we've associated him far too much uh, with police and police procedural and going outside of the law to accomplish goals and that this film looks like it's going to even be more of that much like how the previous like batman v superman and justice league had a batman who was very much that it was very much just brutality and like you know hurting people um which you know batman does but it feels like it's more of a like a necessary evil as opposed to part of his theming yeah um there's i mean i think the thing that's tricky about batman is like you got to kind of make it where his existence is justified and you know, he's not just making the problem worse or just doing what, you know, an ordinary cop or a group of cops could do. And usually that comes in the form of either fighting like garish supervillains or, or you know, going up against very corrupt police. Um, otherwise, like the characters become sort of unnecessary in any sort of like, I don't know, um, existential sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, he has to exist in a world that has a need for a Batman, either the menace, like in some fashion, the menace is so extraordinary that he does have to go outside the law to handle it. Yeah, I agree. There does need to be a world where he's needed. And hence why some of those more realistic takes kind of falter to an extent, uh, because there's very few instances where we would call for someone to dress up like a bat and go and punch slumlords. That's not necessarily a realistic solution to most of our problems. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, like the older you get, I mean, the superheroes at their core, I mean, they were created as entertainment for children. So there's always going to be a certain bit of naivete baked into them. And I think if you start introducing too many realistic elements, you just start questioning everything, like all the assumptions that the character is built on. And then you're just left with nothing. Like in I'll give you an example in like the, the Nolan film in the dark Knight, um, he has the Joker wearing like smeared makeup for most of the movie. And when the Joker's arrested around the middle of the movie, I was like, why does no one at the police station wipe his makeup off? <laughs> and this like, I mean, that, that's, you don't take a mugshot of somebody wearing like makeup. You make them take it off, <laughs> you know, because the point of a mugshot is is to have to properly identify the person. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that was something that just drove me nuts in that movie, and it and it honestly kind of drives me nuts when people are like, "Oh, the Nolan movies are so realistic," and I'm like, "Not, no, they're really not. They're just they're naturalistic, but that's not quite the same thing." Yeah, that's a good um, use of the word is naturalistic. I was going to say, because it doesn't li- exist in a reality. It exists in like a hyper-reality. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. I'm, I'm also, like, there are certain things in the live-action Batman movies I'm horribly sick of. I'm, I'm really sick of him wearing body armor um, because we've had that ever since the, the first Burton movie. Yeah. And I'm just sick of it because they get more and more over-designed each time. <laughs> And, and also, it's like, you know, Batman's supposed to... Okay, if he's wearing body armor, he's basically advertising, I am a human who can be hurt, and I need this. And Batman, like, his whole deal is you're not supposed to know what he is. You're not supposed to know if he's a normal person or if he's, like, got some sort of superhuman powers or if he's some wraith from beyond the grave or something like that. And if he's just a guy in a, in a cloth 
costume who can pull off all these amazing feats, you really don't know what the deal is. I mean, he could wear like body armor maybe underneath his costume and then a cloth costume on top of that. But also it's just, you know, James Bond doesn't need body armor. Why should Batman? Yeah, that's a good point. And also I feel like those are some of the best um, stories for Batman. Like I remember uh, there are uh, movies or like animated films, uh, TV episodes and like comic books Mm -hmm. where you get like stories of like either police or kids kind of retelling uh, like what their experience was with Batman and they're yeah. all wildly different and those yeah. are like the best kinds of stories because like you get to see how he presents himself as like anything and everything like oh is he a man who's a bat is he like this weird ethereal creature like you said is he like some is he literally just another version of the specter uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, like I remember I was reading a comic a long time ago. I think it was like a James Robinson Starman. And one of the characters, one of the villains is like, oh, but Batman's just an ordinary guy. And I'm like, that's not what I would assume. <laughs> like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that guy can teleport, you know, <laughs> he can like escape from things just at random. He's just everywhere. Like he can sneak up on gods. Like, yeah. you know, like I would not assume that's an ordinary dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, I remember in like Grant Morrison's Justice League, at one point, like Batman just like kind of appears and he sneaks up and Superman is like, you snuck up on me. How did you do that? I have like super hearing and all that. And then and Batman just sort of mutters to himself. He was like, ah, device worked. <laughs> and and I, I also would love to see like a movie Batman who has like more of a sense of humor or, or can, can occasionally drop the act like. A few years ago, I was reading um, some Bronze Age issues of uh, Justice League of America, and I found it so refreshing because, like, when Batman was around his peers in the Justice League, when he's hanging around with, like, Superman and Wonder Woman and The Flash and Green Lantern, he he's just pretty much acting like a normal dude because he has no reason to scare them and intimidate them. He's among friends. And I found that a much more well-rounded characterization of Batman than he's who's just always grim and gritty and oh I have to scare everybody. And it's like, well, no, you're you're out to scare criminals. You're not out to scare the innocent. Because there did come a time where there was a really huge shift where he suddenly had to be the unknowable guy to even his friends. Like mm-hmm. he he was not even trusting of the Justice League. Right. Like at one point. It's it's very weird because I don't understand I don't know when that happened. Because like I would have assumed it happened in the Bronze Age, and I remember growing up with the cartoon, like the mm-hmm. Batman cartoon and the Justice League cartoon, and he was kind of loner e in that, but he wasn't yeah. like a jackass. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think there is a difference between him being like buddy buddy with everybody, and and just like not being a total dick. <laughs> you know, there's there's a nice middle ground in between there. Like like there was that that. Uh, that Justice League storyline in the comics that uh, Mark Wade wrote, where it came out that Batman had all these contingency plans against the Justice League to take them all down if need be. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can buy that he does make plans within plans without plans, but I didn't buy him like having being so vicious about it. Cause like most of them were like torturing the Justice League. And I was like, yeah, it was like Kyle Rayner, think... like imagination, like reflected in on himself or something. And right. uh, Aquaman was suddenly became afraid of water. It was like to have contingencies for this makes sense. You live in a world where 
mind control is a thing and mm -hmm. possession is a thing. Right. The idea that one of these guys could go rogue is, you know, it's it's a foregone conclusion almost. Superman yeah. has gone evil before in a Batman story. Right. Um, and it's and it's worked out fine. It makes sense he would do it, but to do it like that was like it was it was a bit much. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I I think he would just try to take them out efficiently and without harming them, especially if they're being like mind controlled or something like that or possessed by an evil spirit. You don't want to harm them. I mean, that that's how I see it. I I see Batman as much more straight heroic than like a, a, a guy who's out for vengeance. I think he's out for justice, but not vengeance. Yeah. So I want to touch for just a second on, you talked about Batman having a sense of humor. And so mm -hmm. I, have a th I have a theory about this, and I'm curious if you guys um, would agree with me or disagree. So my interpretation of Batman's sense of humor is that he likes humor is that is so subtle, only he gets it. Like, mm -hmm. Um, like I'll give you a couple examples from just little things I've seen that made me think of this. Like, um, I don't know, there's an episode of, uh, Batman, the animated series where, um, Alfred is kind of, he's like, Batman is like working on his computer and Alfred is like lecturing him and Batman mm -hmm. is mouthing along exactly what Alfred was saying as he was saying it. And I just thought that was the funniest, most subtle gag I've ever seen on that show. And this is also just another weird thing, but I was playing with one of the Arkham Asylum games and whenever Batman uses like the plastic gel explosive, he puts it, he designs it in like the bat symbol shape. It's like, <laughs> why would you do that unless you just thought it was funny? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I think humor is something that's lost uh, like a little bit over the years with him because like if you're going to have everything bat themed, like, yeah, you have to have like a little bit of a sense of humor about it. Like it's kind of, that's kind of what makes it fun or interesting. And it's stuff that's just for him. And that's fine. That makes sense. Like he has his own little in jokes for himself. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I one of my favorite lines from from uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns is uh, when when Green Arrow is talking to Bruce Wayne and he's like, "Bruce, you've always been mysterious, but it's a loud kind of mysterious." <laughs> um, because like you know, if he, if he wanted to be totally unknown or something like that, he wouldn't have a Batmobile. I mean, he wants to create an impression. He wants to be larger than life to some degree. Um, so yeah. And, but I do think like, I, I, I see Batman as having a sense of humor, but it's probably, it's generally very dry. Yeah. Um, but, but he, he can be a little snark, uh, snarky, a little sarcastic. And if you look at the, like the classic depiction of Robin of, uh, the Dick Grayson Robin in particular, he was, he was so sarcastic and he would always make these horrible puns. And Batman was always just sort of, he he would either go along with it or, or or at least tolerate it. I mean, Batman grinned a lot in the Golden Age. If you go back to the '40s, Batman's grinning more often than not, and he's cracking jokes and doing all that. He had a he had a real uh, joie de vivre uh, about him, you know. Yeah, there was a I'm trying to remember what comic book it was. I think Justice that was uh, not Justice League Unlimited. It was a it was a it was a very interesting comic book that talked about the death of the Golden Age, the beginning of the Silver Age. And it talked about where that was a transition from Batman sort of starting off as that sort of detective comics uh, dressed in black to the lighter costume and a sidekick. And it just became like that same thing you always seem to be concerned about, which was visuals. It's like, well, I, I wanted to scare criminals. I didn't want to like scare children. So now I'm going to like dress a little bit more like a superhero. I think and that's then, in uh, New Frontier that you're That's thinking. it. Thank you. Yeah. New Frontier. A great book, yeah. actually. Darwin's uh, amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but I, it's, it's weird how that reversed. And like you said something that I felt like really resonates with me is that Batman is a hero, but so often for so many people, especially I think in these films, people portray him or view him as an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like they're like reading the text and missing the subtext of the character, which is probably not that uncommon in like Hollywood. Just like, oh, is this guy dresses like a bat and he's scary? I must be really violent. Yeah, I think I think the default in Hollywood is is they they plug him into the type of story you put like Dirty Harry in, um, yeah. where where he's going outside the law and he's he's a, a vigilante and the bad guy dies at the end of the film because usually the bad guys played by celebrity and you're probably not going to be able to get them back for a sequel. <laughs> um, and you, you also see like uh, the thing I really hated in the, in the Burton movies and also in the Snyder movies is he's like killing henchmen left and right. And I'm like, no, that's so not Batman. He doesn't, he's not out to kill people because like his life was changed when his parents died and he doesn't want anyone else to go through that pain. Like, and he, he's smart enough to recognize even that even like a criminal would have might have somebody who loves him as much as he loved his parents. So yeah, he he's not out to to cause unnecessary pain. He's looking to like punish criminals and like put them in prison. But he he also works to have them rehabilitate themselves. Yep. Like I I always like to the it's a bit you see a lot on the animated show where he's like giving people jobs at the Wayne Foundation after they get out of prison or something like that. Because I think we've hit on a couple core aspects of the character, one of which is just he doesn't kill people. Like He has such yeah. an aversion to using guns in general, uh, let alone killing anybody. Mm -hmm. And also he has a war on crime. Like I think that there is a core aspect of that character is that he believes he can win, that there yeah. will come a time when he's like, no, I've got it. I, I defeated crime. It's over. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I, I think that was in like the Grant Morrison uh, uh, secret files entry or something like that. It was like, you know, he has a plan and this is, you know, he's going to execute this plan. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he he would truly believe he could get rid of all crime. That, that seems a little more naive than I imagine Batman being. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm of two minds on that. Yeah, I can see why it'd be divisive because, but I feel like for me personally, that's always married all of the iterations together, whether it's like the Adam West or uh, Brave and the Bold version of Batman who like believes he can win because, oh gosh, golly gee, guys, like it's mm -hmm. crime's going to be stopped. And I guess for lack of a term, nuanced takes of him have always sort of been like, well, he believes that there can be an end. He fights as much as he does. He gets predecessors and so on and so on. Not predecessors, excuse me. He gets uh, successors um, to the to uh, the costume ready to take up after he's done because the it's the war has to continue. It has to eventually be beaten. Um, and all of it sort of still, like, connects to that idea of just like, yeah, he never wants that to happen to another person ever again. No one should feel the pain he did when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, also, I think Batman's got to be smart enough because, I mean, he's he's an athlete who's operating at, like, peak efficiency, but he's also got to be smart enough to realize, like, I can't operate at peak efficiency forever. I mean, he realistically, he would have the same career span as, like, say, maybe a professional athlete or, or even someone who's, like, a professional dancer or whatever someone who has like a real physically active uh career 
And so he probably realized like I've got 10, 15, maybe 20 years where I can do this and do this well. So I think that's part of the reason he has a Robin. And also like, so that the Robin, whichever Robin it is, doesn't have to grow up the way he did as, as lonely as he did. Which I think hits one of the other problems we've been hitting with the both the DCEU and some of the more modern comics. When you start hitting that realism, the suspension of disbelief with age is like really becoming an issue, uh, especially with this character. Yeah, it's hard to make a movie now where like Batman has a kid sidekick. People, modern audiences, I think, would just be like too cynical. Like, what's going on there? They'd ask. And it's not just wish fulfillment for the kids or anything like that. It's And I'm not saying that's wrong, but like... It definitely takes some of the fun out of the character and some of the idea of like his found family away as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when he has, when Batman has more Robins than, than Spinal Tap has drummers, I think, <laughs> I think you're, you're making a, a serious error um, because you know, one, it makes Batman look like a horribly negligent parent and, and two, it just screws up the timeline, something awful. It really like, does. Yeah, like it's so bizarre because like how how long has Bruce been thirty five for? Yeah, it's uh, there. There was a there was an issue of uh, Plastic Man when Kyle Baker was on the book where he had a. It's one of my favorite gags ever where he had he has um, uh, pictures of Batman and Dick Grayson. You know, Dick Grayson as Robin and then Dick Grayson as Nightwing from the Justice League Company picnic through the years. First of all, I love the concept of the Justice League having a company picnic and having like sack races <laughs> and, and barbecues and and all that. And and it shows like, you know, Robin is 12 and then he's like 16 and then he's like 25 and Batman's 35 and all of them. Um, <laughs> and it just and, and Plastic Man's like, yeah, that is weird. Um, it's weird that I'm older than Batman now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's just it's just so weird. And, and and they keep making the same mistake of aging each Robin up. And it's like, no, if you if you have another kid, Robin, just leave him as a kid. Don't age him up to so he's like 20, because then you're going to introduce another kid, Robin, and you have the exact same problem all over again. Yes. Yeah, what are we at? What, Robin for at this point? Because we had Dick Grayson, who I think was fine. You can. Yeah. Dick kind of got his own career. And I think he did great as Nightwing and then in Teen Titans. Nick has like a lot of great comic book lore that he's gone into. Like really mm -hmm. like a character in his own right as the original sidekick who made it on his own. Like he could he could be an episode of himself, uh, honest to God. And then we had Jason Todd, who is problematic to save the least. And I think Tim Drake, who's aged out of the role at this point too, hasn't he? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think they aged Tim Drake up, which always struck me as really foolish. That, yeah, that was weird because like like you have these two other guys that are like like the same age, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. For Jason Todd and uh and the original Robin uh to Dick, Dick Grayson to be the same age. Like cuz they were took play like cuz when Todd was taken on, Dick was already like um Nightwing and doing his own thing and like an adult at that point. So it's just weird. Yeah, uh, it is. It's really weird. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think generally they, they say that Dick Grayson like was around 12 or 13 when he became Robin. He became Nightwing uh, when he was like, uh, I think a, a 19 or 20. I think he turned 20 just after he became Nightwing, if I remember correctly. And then uh, Jason Todd was like somewhere around 12, 14, like that. 
they killed him off because he he was became a pretty unpopular character. And then like a year or so later, they they introduced Tim Drake and he was 13, I remember. And he was it seemed like he was 13 for a few years and then just suddenly they aged him up. So he's like 16, 18, whatever. And yeah. I have no idea what age he is now. But it's thinking about Jason Todd, actually, like you think about when they brought that character back as this very violent, uh, gun-toting, uh, like, you know, murderous anti-hero. Why is it, like, I-, I feel like that's people's interpretation of Batman now. They think he's Jason Todd, you know, the Red Hood, rather than just being Batman. Um, and he's fought against these exact archetypes in his book, like, more than once. Like, Jason Todd is one of the more memorable ones, but I know he's fought, like, other people, like Lockup, and I'm trying to remember other, like, more violent, uh, like, anti-hero types that came into the books but it's it's really weird and it's unnerving to keep seeing that happen over and over again um even in modern comic books i think it's just uh sort of the way that movie uh, movie morality works a little differently than comic morality comic morality tends to be on the side of heroes do not except in maybe extreme circumstances kill people you know Mm -hmm. And then in movies, like even absolutely upright moral people are always expected to kill the bad guys by the end of the movie. And even if they show mercy, like that mercy is always rejected and then they must kill anyway. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it when the hero at least makes an effort to uh, save the bad guy. Because it's like, well, the, you know, the hero is supposed to be more moral than the bad guy. Steve Englehart, uh, he wrote... I think the first time his his classic stories uh, were reprinted in uh, the mid '80s, he he did a great run on Detective Comics with Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin, and he wrote an essay in the uh, the last issue that reprinted it, where he just expressed the point of view that in his mind Batman was sane, and part of the reason for that was you know one there has to be a difference between Batman and the bad guys. And also, Batman is smart enough to realize that if he was actually insane, he would be less effective at his job. So he doesn't let himself go over the edge on that. And I, ever since I've read that, I've been of the opinion that Batman is sane or should be sane. I mean, th- those are the depictions of Batman that I like the most. I don't like it when they imply that he's as crazy as the bad guys, because then it's just two insane people beating each other up. And why should you care? And I, I like it when they do play with that to an extent, like when there are mm-hmm. villains who attempt to try and push him over that edge or when it becomes like a lot from a take on. I feel like there are books that do it well. Um, I'm trying to think of a the one Arkham book, uh, Serious House on a Serious Hill or something like that. Uh, serious House on Serious, serious Earth. That was that was, uh, yeah, that was Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. And I thought that was pretty good. As far as like really playing with like, you know, him tipping over his sanity, but it wasn't about like, but it wasn't because he walked in with like so many uh, issues beyond just his own tragedies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he walked in with uh, like, oh man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually kind of a violent person at heart. Uh, but it, so I felt like that's why they work because they bring this sort of this very well-rounded character and uh, kind of beat him into the ground as much as they can to get him to that point. And I feel like that's more interesting and that's sort of a more satisfying journey to come out the other end of as opposed to just, well, we made this crazy person do crazy things. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 You know, um, 
Well, for one thing, one argument that I've heard a lot of people make about Batman being crazy is like, well, you'd have to be crazy to dress up like a bat and fight crime. <laughs> but like half the people in Gotham City are superheroes or villains. Right. Like it's yeah. I just don't think it's that crazy in their world. Like, I mean, you can make the argument that maybe he's got some trauma, some PTSD, whatever. And I don't think that's the craziest argument. But like, um, but yeah, I think the idea that just because he does this thing that is relatively common you know, that he, that's what makes him crazy. Yeah. I think, I mean, in the real world, if somebody was dressing up like a bat and was like, I'm going to go fight crime and I'm going to stop all of crime. I would be like, yes, that person is a hundred percent crazy. Um, but yeah, Batman lives in a world where putting on a costume and fighting crime, that is a viable career option. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's not crazy. It's just a thing you can do in a comic book world. And I think, yeah, too many people, they try to make these comic book characters fit or work in the real world. And it's like, no, well, they're not really built for that. They're not intended for that. And you're kind of missing the point if you're always trying to make them work in the real world, you know? Yeah, and I think another issue we keep uh, running into, both with public perception and a few of uh, more recent writings, uh, is billionaire Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, where that, like, I understand why that's problematic to an extent, especially now. Like, he's a guy who has, like, uh, enough money to pay for a space station and goes out and, you know, punches criminals uh, with his bat gear and bat suit. And people ask the question, like, well, why doesn't he just use his millions of dollars to, like, but we have we did establish he does that already, but... Yes, he went, does! Yep. He does! The yep. Wayne Foundation does, like, all the charities! <laughs> If there is a charity in Gotham City, the Wayne Foundation is contributing to it. Yep. That is the like, dumbest meme. I am sorry, but it's the dumbest meme. No, it's, I, I completely agree. It, yeah. it feels so weird and so hollow. Uh, yeah. but like to the point where he's been stripped of his of his millions on more than one occasion, uh, just because oh, we need to humanize him as a character or whatever. Like, I get it. It's it's weird to relate to a guy with that much money, sure, fine, whatever. Uh, and I get the argument that, like, yes, in practicality, I'm sure that the allocating resources would work to this extent. Fine, whatever. But also, like, that's – it's not an interesting character. Like, I get it. Like, his, his superpowers, his money, whatever, fine, cool. But it's it's not as a compelling a story to tell. And you have to, at some point, give the caveat of it's a comic book. The guy just dresses like a bat. He does that. Like, and we've established – over decades and decades, exactly what you just said. It feels so weird to have to consistently get into a conversation about Batman, the billionaire. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I think the money is less about like, you know, look how great it is that I'm rich and more just like, this is why he can do this. It's, it's an excuse for why he's as amazingly good as he is and has all this cool gear. It's just, it's just yeah. a vessel for that stuff. And and you're absolutely right that no one would want to read, you know, guy who rives, guy who gives to charity man. You know, that, <laughs> that wouldn't be a great yeah. comic. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, for, yeah, first of all, that would make a horrible comic book and likely a horrible movie. I mean, the only the only sort of wealth distribution thing that could work in the movie is like a Robin Hood movie. Um, and that that's only that really, in my opinion, hasn't worked since Errol Flynn. But yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That hasn't stopped them from trying. <laughs> nope, nope. Every, every few years, they're like, hey, we should make a Robin Hood movie. And I'm like, this one from 1938 is pretty good, guys. Um, <laughs> got it. 
<laughs> right back then. But yeah, I mean, Batman, you know, he he does, like, he fights the crime and he tries to prevent the crime and the societal uh, causes of crime. But you're not going to defeat Mr. Freeze by lowering the tax rate on the middle class or something like that. It's like, well, that's great, Batman, but, uh, you know, the, the Gotham Police Department is still in a giant iceberg. So <laughs> maybe break out the heat ray. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think him being a, like a millionaire or a billionaire, that really is just a device to explain why he has all the cool toys. And, and that very much arises out of like the pulp heroes that he uh, was in, that helped inspire him, like the Shadow and Doc Savage and all that. Those guys were had millions of dollars too. And that was, again, just to explain all the cool gizmos. And I think it was a, it was a product of its time, not to use that phrase as poorly as I'm using it, but they, the billionaire playboy was like the hero of a certain time. Like you mm-hmm. were talking before, like you had like a Doc Savage and them. Like yeah. it was, that was kind of just your stereotypical, like, you know, fantasy character. Oh, I wish I was that. Or like kids growing up, like, oh, I wish I could be, a really rich man who, you know, everyone adored and loved. And I had all this like, you know, really fast cars. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also true that like the difference between money in the 1930s versus now, like Batman was a millionaire in those days, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is rich. He had an, it's like, Oh, he's got a nice big house and a couple of cars as opposed to billionaire where like you're, you've got more money than some countries, you know, it's, it's a, like it's a different, it's a shift in the character and the way that that money works for them, I think. Right. Well, and also like, cause the character was created in the thirties. He was in, it was, we were still in the midst of the great depression. Him being a millionaire, that was as much of a fantasy element as him being a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> most people were living hand to mouth and just struggling just to survive. And him, you know, like the, he lives in a mansion and he's got this cool race car and, He's got a plane and a and a a, a helicopter or a uh, uh, what, what do they call the old fashioned helicopters? I'm forgetting the uh, gyro gyroscope. Oh, gyro. You know the, that's that's as much of a fantasy element as as anything. Yeah, and I feel like he did have to be like he did have to scale with the world as it went up. Like he, he needed to go from millions to billions. He, he couldn't just stay at that level because you had so much that had to be done. Like, Oh, well, you know, how does Superman afford X, Y, and Z uh, for the justice league on his, you know, uh, reporter salary? Like, well, Batman is on the justice league and Batman is Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne can afford a space station. He can uh, afford the hall of justice. He can afford these scientific endeavors and pay star labs and all this other stuff that, uh, is going to need to go through the Wayne foundation is such a, it's such a big deal. Like it, it feels like you need that as like your band aid, And I don't think that's poor writing. I think you've, you've put that into the, into the universe, use it like to sit there mm-hmm. and just kind of like, no, he's not relatable anymore. Like, I mean, yeah, to an extent that's, that's true. Like I can't relate to Batman for millions of reasons. I didn't lose mm-hmm. my parents when I was a child. Uh, I didn't grow up with ninjas, um, there's like a lot of things that I can't relate to as far as Batman goes, but being a regular guy hanging out in a place where there are like gods among men and like consistently feeling like, I don't know if I belong here. Like, yeah, that's relatable. I get that Batman. Yeah. I have yeah. imposter syndrome too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Batman would ever have imposter syndrome. I mean, that's not necessarily my 
conception of like some like I did like when Grant Morrison was writing Justice League. He had uh, Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern at the time. He felt out of his league. Uh, pardon the pun. But it, like in the first issue, he was like, I can't believe I'm here. It's like being asked to jam with the Beatles. And and that was a nice way in for me to start liking Kyle Rayner as a character uh, because he was newer at the game than anybody else in the group. And so I thought that characterization really made sense for him. Uh, yeah, with Batman, yeah, the money thing is one of the things he can contribute to the group that uh, nobody else in the group really can. Plus, there aren't aren't a whole lot of like ridiculous super geniuses on the team either. I think he, you know, like most of them are just sort of ordinary people when it comes to intelligence and skills, even if they're smart. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Batman has that weird ability where he's like great at everything. You know, yeah. I, I always consider that a superpower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, yeah, that's the point of Batman is he's if he doesn't know about it, he's going to learn about it. And he's he might not be the best person but i mean he is definitely a jack of all trades that's one of the odd things that i actually always felt was was not part of uh like maybe not part maybe it was always there maybe it wasn't but i always feel like that wasn't the part that i grew up with was he was the great detective but he wasn't um great at everything he couldn't like mm -hmm. learn how to be a sous chef in a week or something like that that's more of like a superman thing for lack of a better term right and it's um, it's another changeover that I've noticed that he sort of does just become like invincible. I've thought 10 steps ahead of you, which becomes really hard to swallow when like, uh, I think it's like Riddler syndrome or something when like uh, new characters or like very human characters show up that become big problems. Like more recently punchline was able to get one over on bats and I'm sitting there. I'm like, this guy's like fought like other superheroes to like serious standstills and like not broken a sweat it it becomes a lot to take in when he has to go back to these street level thugs and they still pose a threat and they should um i just don't know how to marry that as well as like i guess you could yeah it's it's a tough line to walk because he has to be be vulnerable enough that you still feel like he's at risk um but you don't want to him have him like easily fooled or or taken down too easily um, so yeah, it's, it's a tough balancing act, but do you feel like we could deal without the Batman who's good at everything? Cause I feel like that's part of where his emotional, like stunted stuff happened, where we lose a lot of the, like we've reviewed, uh, crisis on infinite earths like last year. And I feel like one of the best scenes was like seeing Batman, like actually care and be shocked about what's happening to the flash and feel like vulnerable. And I feel like part of all of that, this like emotionless kind of, I'm going to be the dad of the superheroes kind of vibe that he's given off um, that I can do anything. I'm unstoppable. I, I've thought ahead of you a million different ways. I don't know. I feel like that's another, I think that's another thing that is kind of moved him away from that emotional core that you kind of need for him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, th I think he needs that. Yeah, and he's more relatable as a as a person if he has like some recognizable human emotions, if he's not just the bat god, you know? Yeah, I think it's a weird thing that comics have a bit of a problem portraying like great intelligence in a lot of cases. Because like, how do you write a character who's smarter than you, right? You essentially have to give him access to the mm. script. And, you know, that often ends up being what happened like, ah, the bad guy did this. He's like, ah, but I was prepared for that exact thing. But that's not right. really how intelligence necessarily works. Usually intelligence is like you have like systems that you might use or you might be able to think fast on your feet. Like, oh, I didn't see this coming, 
but like I turned the environment into a way to react to it rather than like I was prepared all along. Right. I mean, I, I think you have him be smarter than the writer or the reader is you have him come up with like, if it's something that you're racking your brain for hours to come up with, Batman comes to that conclusion in seconds. Um, so that right there makes him smarter. Uh, and also like he has like enough knowledge or he knows enough about a little thing. Also, you can just withhold some information from the reader. Um, that's a trick that Arthur Conan Doyle did in, uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories quite a bit where, cause we're seeing everything through from Watson's point of view. So we're not really privy to Holmes's inner thoughts. And then at the end of the story, Holmes is like, well, I knew that the, 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 the cobbler was the, the murderer because of X, Y, Z. And Watson was like, Oh, well that's, you know, that's why that weird thing happened. <laughs> so. And I feel like that is done to good effect. Uh, like I remember, especially in the animated series for Batman, like you, he's able to, uh, draw conclusions and get victories because of things that we saw, but didn't necessarily pick up on. Yeah. Um, like there's one, I remember with Rachel Ghoul that was really, really clever where through the whole episode, we're seeing things. And if you're aware of them, you catch them as he's picking them up or taking these pieces of evidence or noting information. Then at the end of the episode, he reveals like, well, because of X, Y, and Z, I knew this was the result. Like, like, Oh damn, he's right. Like that. <laughs> yeah. And it works really well when you do that. Yeah, that's straight from the original comic story, by the way. Uh, Denny O'Neill uh, adapted his own comic script for the first uh, Rachel Ghoul episode. Man, that, like that was—that's one of those classic ones too. Like it worked really well when they brought it to television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that story in particular that adapted really well to television, and they made enough uh, changes to to make it really work. And it had it had a lot of action. It had a mystery, but the mystery wasn't so complex that you couldn't condense it down to a 20-minute television episode. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. Need to go back and watch that one again. I mean, yeah. we got the time, some of us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, it's all wanna... Demon's Quest, if you, if you want to look it up. <laughs> but I want to thank you guys for, uh, for joining me and uh, talking about this character and uh, really getting in deep on who he was and what, what we feel about him. Who he is and how he came to be. <laughs> yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. This this was fun. I I always enjoy talking about Batman. I like ninety percent of my conversations. I hope become conversations about Batman, and I'm I'm disappointed more often than not. Uh, but anyway, um, to all of you out there in listener land, please follow us in the podcatcher of your choice. You can go to Facebook uh, to visit us at the fan club at. Uh, Facebook.com slash nonpro and good night, everybody. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the non-productive network is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.